You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning. My name is Christy Robinson. I have been attending Hope for 11 years now. I have the pleasure of serving in Hope Kids as well as volunteering in Faith in Action Puppet Ministry. Will you please stand for today's reading? Our passage today is from Judges chapter 6, verses 19 through 27. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in the hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that it was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to, belongs to the Abyssalites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the shura that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Ah. Turn to someone around you, if you don't mind, and say, are you ready for more of Gideon? Ask them that question. What do you do if they say no, right? Uh, Gideon is such an amazing character that we could exhaust weeks and weeks. And so I originally had planned, or we had planned in our preaching team, to give Gideon three weeks. Um, now it looks like he's probably going to get five, maybe, I don't know more, but we'll see how that all pans out as well. Such a powerful character represents, I think, the idea of this book of Judges, as it is so relevant to you and I today and to our daily decisions that we have and the things that we are challenged by. So today is the thought of God, is that really you? And I think it's something that perhaps we've said at some point to God, God, is that is that really you? Let me kind of catch you up if you haven't been here for a while. Those of you that are joining us online, we're just great to see you as well. So let me go back to chapter four for a moment. This is where we find the judge, Deborah. She is called by God to be a prophetess and a judge. Then she calls Barak, who is called to be the commander of the armies of Israel. They are called to fight Sisera and the Canaanites. And after they win this battle, which is an amazing thing that God does because the Israelites have been disarmed, so they have no spears or swords. Yet Sisera has 900 chariots of iron. 
God sends rain into an area that gets very little rain, causes the river Kishon to, to rise. He floods the plains, and so he, and he disables the air, chariots of iron, and Israel wins this great battle, and is followed by 40 years of rest. But then when we get to chapter 6, we find this age-old phrase throughout the book of uh, Judges where it says, and they returned to doing what was evil in the sight of God. If you want to know more about that phrase, reference the teaching from last week. It talks about the real and true sin of Israel. And, And so go back and check that out. And so God, in his great mercy, as he has done in times past, he gives Israel into the hands of the Midianites for seven years. Midianites are a little different in that they don't occupy the area where the Israelites are, but yet they come in at harvest every year and they take everything, all the grain, everything that is grown. They take all the cattle as well and they take it back and they consume it like this of locusts is what the Bible calls them. So what we see in this is Israel suffering under this great time of injustice by working very hard for something and someone else taking advantage of it. So it's very demoralized to them as a people. Then Israel is now living in caves. They're afraid of the Midianites. And then God calls another judge by the name of Gideon. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. We talked about that some last week. He's hiding in fear from the Midianites. God shows up. It's what is called a theophany. It is a Old Testament physical appearance of Jesus. And so it is a theophany, but yet that Gideon yet is yet to know who he's talking to. He doesn't know that's who it is. And so he has this moment with God. I don't know if you've ever had uh, felt a voice inside of you. You felt something speaking to you. And you have said to God, God, is that you? This is the issue that we find right here in this moment. God, is that you? So we find Israel, they are deposed and, and demoralized. Gideon comes to the realization in verse 22 of who God is. God commands him to do something. We're going to talk about that as well. Gideon obeys in fear, not out of fear of God, but out of fear of retribution from his family. That's a sermon within itself, isn't it? Yes. And then he verifies it's God, then, but yet he functions in this obedience mixed with fear. And, but God doesn't express any dissatisfaction. I think that sort of uh, flies in the face sometimes of some theology that we have been taught in the past in our own lives as well. And then we finish with this issue of trust that he has with God and whether God is on his side or not. So we start with verse 16 this morning, and this is where it all begins. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So in other words, God is saying, trust me and I'll do the heavy lifting. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign. This is what Gideon says to God. Then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring my present. So I believe that Gideon has a suspicion, but he's not really sure that this is God. So he says, don't depart from me till I bring you my present and set it before you. And he said, which is God? I will stay to Till you return. So, a couple of thoughts. The first is this our uncertainty is not a barrier to God's providence. Our uncertainty is not a barrier to God's providence. So, I, I love the character Gideon because I think he is this suspicious individual, right? He, he's always 
suspicious as to what's happening. And this is why he's the person to always ask the why and the what questions. And he doesn't take things at face value. So he is somewhat inquisitive or suspicious. How many of you would characterize yourself as being a suspicious individual and you're always questioning things? Anybody in the room have a lot of questions? Good, terrific, all right? The other people, as we say, you didn't understand the question, right? I wasn't calling you to, that you are suspicious. I wasn't saying that, right? Or maybe you are, I don't know, right? But that wasn't the point. The point is that Gideon is a person who asks questions. He's a seeker. And I think that's an important part for us to understand because this request that he makes of God is not about his calling to fight the Midianites on behalf of God in Israel. It's not about that at all. Contextually, purely contextually, it's pertaining to the identity of the messenger. He wants to know who is speaking to him. So Gideon asks for clarification as to who is talking. So is that doubt or unbelief? When we ask for clarification, if this is God, God, is this you speaking to me or is it the pizza that I had last night? Right. Is it the leftovers that I knew right? They were right at the moment of being bad that were in the refrigerator, but I ate them anyway because I didn't want to fix anything else. God, is it that that's speaking to me? God, is this you or is this my emotions driving me? God, is this you or is this my guilt? That's speaking to me. Some years ago after one of our services. I walked down off the stage. And there was this individual. And I knew that they were struggling financially. So I believe that God said to me. Give them some money. You help them out personally. And so I said okay God. I will do that right. And so I um, thought well you know. What amount am I to give. Because I don't carry much cash. Reba's the like. Reba is our bank. She's the one that carries the cash. And I just think, you know, I have a debit card, so I'm all good with that, right? And so I I thought, well, you know, today I have some cash, so I'll just give to them some cash. And and I said, okay, you know, Lord, what, what do you want me to give? And then God said to me, give them everything. Give them everything. So I thought, okay. So I couldn't remember how much was in my wallet. So I turned my back so they wouldn't see me. I take out my wallet to count, to take inventory, right? I did. And so I looked at my wallet. I had forgotten that I had sold something on eBay that week. And I still had all this cash in my pocket. And I had $120 in there. And God says to give everything. So what do you think I did? I said to God, God, is that really you? Is what I said, right? Sure, yes. God, I had 20 bucks on my my mind, you know, or something like that. God, is this really you? I was good with a 20, not really good with a 120, right? So, but I but I knew that it was God, and so I gave it. Have you ever been in that moment where God calls you to do something? And you say, God, is that really you? Is that really you speaking to me? God, if I'm seeking verification as to who is speaking to me, is that doubt? And I think that we perhaps have at some point sat under a sermon or a teaching somewhere at some time in our walk with God. And someone has led us to believe that that some, if you question the who is speaking to you, then somehow that is doubt. And maybe you're saying, but Mark, wait a minute. I can tell you how you know it's God. Because God's never going to call you to something that makes you uncomfortable or unsafe. Can I tell you if that's the way you think? Do not read any further in the Bible. Stop where you are. 
because it's going to rock your world. If you see the rest of the story of Gideon, then you're going to understand. Don't read the New Testament. Please don't do that either because things get really crazy there as well. No. So Gideon says to God, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks to me. Now, before you brand him as some person that lacks faith, let's look at this contextually, because as we say here at Hope Fellowship, context is everything. And so let's look at it in the context of the scripture and get a very good, clear picture of what God is saying in this moment and why he's asking this question, because it's not wrong for Gideon to ask this for confirmation. It's all why, because at this point, and when we read this text, that we realize that Gideon Gideon doesn't know who he is. Gideon doesn't, he, he, he has a suspicion, but yet he thinks, well, it could be a man. It could be an angel. I'm not sure who this person is. So it's okay in context here. Absolutely. I think it's, it, it's, it makes great sense to confirm this source for Gideon because Gideon is being asked to do something that is going to involve tens of thousands of Israelites and possibly many of them being killed. And so, you know, he wants to ask for direction. So if it's an area of direction that is not directly specified in Scripture for you and I, is it okay for you and I to seek confirmation that it is God who is speaking to us? God, is this you? Or is this my emotions or my desire to crush Midian or or my anger and what's happening to my nation? Let me talk about this for a few minutes with you today, because I think we can say sometimes we can see these things in our lives and we just talk about this in the context of what is happening to Gideon. And so the task is godly, right? For some of us, when we look at something, we think, well, God has called us to is the task is godly. But is it is that what God wants me to do? Well, what do you mean? Well, God, he or she is a great person, right? And and so, but is this person your person for me? Or is this just my attraction toward them, God? I, I have to know the difference. Yes, God, this is a great job that you have brought or, or is before me, but God, did you bring it before me? God, is this, is this your idea, Lord? You know, good, I wrote this in my journal this week, that good is not always the best criteria for clarity in these moments. If I'm judging these things just because they're good things, I don't think is always the safest criteria for clarity in these moments of my life and your life. Then then what are you saying? I I approach these things by simply, I I pray over this. God, I'm going to pray over this, right? And I'm going to search the scriptures over all of this. I'm going to seek wise counsel in this area because I desire confirmation, God, that this is you. Remember, Gideon doesn't have the canon of scriptures that you and I have. It's very different for him as well. So he has to trust maybe more in this process than you and I would. Let me give you some context. So what does Gideon do? He goes to the kitchen. He prepares this great meal for this messenger. In fact, the English Standard Version, which we use, causes it a present. It is a gift, a tribute. It is an offering, and he serves the guest. Then look what the guest does in verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord reached out with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. He touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the fire sprung up from the rock, consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon 
perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the angel of the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord of peace. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. The miraculous sign alone should not have persuaded Gideon. I think that's something that you and I need to really hang on to. The miraculous sign alone should not have persuaded Gideon. Why? Because there are miraculous deceptions in our life. It is. The enemy can deceive you in these moments if that's all that you're hanging on to. Yet, it is this miracle of fire together with other collaborating evidence throughout this conversation with the angel of the Lord that should have revealed to Gideon who he was talking to, that it wasn't a messenger, that it wasn't just an angel, but it's actually a theophany, that it's a physical form of Jesus. So what does this have to do with me and the way I'm living my life? And Mark, make this very practical because I don't quite understand how this applies to me. So I chose two questions this morning for you. So I think it's questions that could be very general. They're not meant to be exhaustive. But I think that you can fit a lot of info in this and apply it to yourself. The first one would be this, God, do you want me to marry this person? Yeah. Wouldn't that be, this would be a great time to turn to your neighbor and say that to them, wouldn't it? No, it would not, right? That would not be the perfect time. No, God, do you want me to marry this person? No. You say, I'm already married to them. I'm questioning why, too, you know, kind of deal. Did I, uh, did I just trust in the signs? Maybe I should have had a little more criteria, right? So, God, do you want me to marry this person? Please, Lord, send fire. Yeah, yeah. Please, God, send fire, right? Can I give you some more collaborating evidence I think you should put with this and then explain this to you for a moment? I think you can start with the question, do you love me, right? <laughs> it begins there, right? Well, Mark, that's irrelevant. You know, no, it is very important. Do you love me? Second is this. How does this relationship line up with Scripture? And are they living for Christ? That's huge. Third, have they passed an extensive FBI background check, right? You, Mark, are you serious? For my, my granddaughters right now, absolutely I'm serious. Fingerprinting everything. Yes, yes, absolutely. Waterboarding, whatever it takes. Okay, uh, Four, right? Have you asked the Holy Spirit for clarity? Have you prayed about this? No, I'm just waiting for the piece of toast to come out of the toaster that looks like the Virgin Mary. And that's the sign that I'm wanting. No, stop. That's not, why, that's not the way this works. God, is this for your glory first and for my joy second? Right? Because within this collaborating evidence... You receive confirmation. What do you mean, Mark? Because you're opening your heart and mind for God to reveal himself to you. Understand that. Let me give you another question. God, is this new job offer from you? Boy, it looks good, Lord. It's a lot more money for, you know, for me. So, so Lord, you know, send some fire, God. Yeah. Let me give you a little more collaborating evidence. Does this strengthen or weaken your family structure? That's huge. Does this new position allow me to serve others in the church? Will I use this increase for just myself or the kingdom of God first? Wow. 
Have you asked the Holy Spirit for clarity? Have you prayed about this in your life? I know I'm saying a lot, right? And you're trying to write that down, but it's a lot. God, is this for your glory first and my joy second? Because when I look at the life of Gideon and I lay that over all this, what I realize is there was plenty of collaborating evidence for him. And there is for you and I, as we open our hearts and our minds through all of these questions, God reveals himself to us. But Mark, look, you know, God responds to Gideon's present that, that Gideon brings him. No, I'm going to tell you, that's not why God responded the way he does. God responds to Gideon's heart before he consumes the meal. What do you mean? It's because of what God said to him. God said to him, I will stay until you return. God's first response to Gideon is a response due to his heart. His heart and desire for clarity. He's a seeker. He's searching for truth. He's authentic with God. He says to God at that moment, because I think he already has some suspicion, but he says in authenticity, I'm not really sure who you are. Will you hang out until I come back? And God says, sure, I'll be here when you return. Why does God respond the way God responds? Because that is that Gideon is a seeker in his own heart. And when you are a seeker in your own heart for truth, truth and clarity. And when you're asking God the why questions and the what questions, God sees that and God is pleased with those things and God reveals himself to you in those moments. Yes. It's not like I have to get all the things in my life together and I check off all the boxes and then I come to God And then God responds with fire and he burns up the meal. And now I know who he is and it's him to speak. No, God responds because of Gideon's heart. Because Gideon seeks God. Gideon seeks truth. Gideon seeks answers and clarity from God that day. And that touches the very heart of God. So for all of you seekers in the room and all of you that are asking God questions and all of you that desire some kind of clarity within your heart today, let me say something to you. God is drawn to that. He's drawn to that. So keep seeking him. Keep desiring clarity in your own life. So if God is not moved by the sacrifice, but the heart, then, then what does God desire from me? Oh, I am so glad you asked that question. That's a perfect question. It's Psalm 51, and it says, for you will not, for you will not delight in sacrifice, David says to God, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. When I read this, what I realize is that obedience to God must be accompanied by a hard experience with the Lord. It, it's, it's amazing that action apart from transformation may please us, but it's not necessarily pleasing to God. You know, it's not. God says, listen, I'm not responding to a meal. I'm responding to the heart of Gideon in this moment. So Gideon says, God, I know who you are. Man. I've solved the mystery. I know this is you speaking to me. Then what? And what I wrote in my notes this week is this, that what you commit to God, because that's what he does, what you commit to God will be tested. Hmm, That's a thought, isn't it? Look at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, 
take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal or Baal, however you pronounce it, both are sometimes correct. So we'll use Baal this morning uh, that your father has. When I look at this, what I realize is that Gideon's journey does not begin on the battlefield with the Midianites. Gideon's journey begins at home, tearing down the family idols. I think that is a sermon within itself. And he says to them, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here. And with stones laid in due order. In other words, where the caves are that they're living in. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So here's the second thought. God's call does not always make us feel at peace, but his presence does. Let me say that one more time to you. God's call does not always make us feel at peace, but his presence does. Where does this all start? This all started back where he, God says to, to Gideon, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. But he's not striking Midianites right now. He's tearing down idols is what he's doing. But his ultimate call is to fight against the Midianites because the battle is fought first in our own hearts, in our own minds. That's where it begins. Before the battlefield with the Midianites, it has to take place here. In other words, what this is saying to you and I is this is all about our hearts. It has to begin there. If you don't start within your own self, your own heart and your own mind, then when you get out to the battlefield with the Midianites, you may not have the leadership ability that you would have needed for that moment within your life. And we're going to see that bear itself true in just a moment. So what is the most important thing to God? I ask you this question. Obedience or courage? What's the most important thing to God? Obedience or courage? Because as we discovered last week, remember that Gideon was not called because he was brave, but he was brave because of his calling. It was the transformation that took in place in Gideon's own heart, in his own mind. Because here is the thought. Obedience. Obedience is more important to God than bravery. Because Gideon is the first godly ninja. Is what he is, right? Is exactly what he does, right? He carries out God's call in the middle of the night. Even in the middle of fear in his life. For his own family and for the men of the town. He does that over with the cloak of night. And God never expresses dissatisfaction for the way that Gideon carried out the command. Wow. I think that's a, that's a huge thought. It really is. Because we sit back sometimes, we think, yeah, no, I've got to get everything together. I've got to get really brave, you know, kind of deal. And I get really pumped up for God. And then God is going to do this thing through my life. And then that's how God is going to use me. But I want to tell you, that's so contrary to so many scriptures that we find. Scriptures like 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, which says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. Is what Paul writes. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what happens in all of this? Gideon is paraded through the street and everything is wonderful and they have a big parade. And it's, it's, no, here's what happens is, is they wake up, the, the townspeople and the family wake up the next morning and their idol of, of Baal is gone, the Asherah is gone. And so all of a sudden everybody's upset about all of this. Somebody says, hey, it was Gideon. Somebody rats him out. You know, probably one of the 10 that was with him, right? They rat him out. And, and so the, the men of the town want to kill Gideon. Joash, his father, stands up. And these are Joash's idols. They, they belong to him. And he says, uh, let, you know, let Baal defend himself. I love that. He says, let Baal defend himself. If he's a real God, it's not a moment of repentance for Joash. But he says, let Baal defend himself. I think it's a moment of clarity for him as well. And, uh, and if you try to do anything to, to Gideon, then you're going to be dead before the morning. I love how the New Old Testament deals with people, right? Yeah, don't touch my kid. Are you all going to be dead by tomorrow morning, right? That's, that's powerful. It is. And so Gideon's name is changed to Jerubbabel, which simply means let Baal contend for himself. I love that. Yeah, I said first service, my loose interpretation of the name Jerubbabel would be the one who kicked Baal's butt. It's what it was, right? That's it, yeah. That's exactly it. So why all of this stuff? I thought he was called to fight the Midianites. Why all this craziness going on in his home and these idols? Because there is a reason, verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Here's the Amalekites and the Midianites and they're coming to do their normal thing. They're coming to raid the storehouses, to take everything that the Israelites have worked for, to do all that, to torture them, to to demoralize them. God knows. You see, nothing in our life is random. Realize that. That everything in life is lived through the hands of a sovereign God. So nothing is random in my life, in your life. So God knew what needed to be done in Gideon's life. And if it wasn't for Gideon taking down the altars that of his own home, of him stepping out, even though he did it in fear, but he had to step out and do what God had called him to do, then Gideon would not have been prepared for what was about to happen. Realize this, the things that take place in my life and your life are not random. God is at work. God's at work. In what we see to be the randomness of our life at times. In verse 33 says, now all the Midianites and Amalekites um, and the people of the east came together. They crossed the Jordan. They camped in Jezreel. But look at verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet. And the Abyssalites were called out to follow him. God establishes Gideon's leadership first within Gideon's own heart. And God establishes himself as, the, as, as Gideon's leader in his own heart before Gideon is ever established as being the leader of the nation of Israel on a battlefield. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. He takes possession of him. Because Gideon's sacrifice 
is not just some meat and some bread and some stew, but Gideon's ultimate sacrifice is himself. It's himself to God. Verse 36, and we tie all this up in a moment. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So here he is. He's no longer trying to establish the identity of who is talking to him. He knows it's God, but there's something else even deeper going on here in his life. It's the sign of the fleece or the sign of the cross. Wow. And man, maybe you have been in church for a while. Maybe this is your first time here or our first time in church, period. And, and I want to say, we're glad that you're here. Thank you for being here either way. But if you've heard this, you've heard a lot of different approaches to this text and about a fleece and about how that works in our life and all those kinds of things. But I think in order to talk about this, we have to look at the heart behind it. That's what's important. And that's what makes it, whether this is something that's dangerous or not dangerous for us in our spiritual life. Because what we see here is, is Gideon, he is trying to dictate his will upon God. God is not a puppet on some kind of string that you manipulate by saying to God, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. Have you ever been there? God, if you will make this happen, then God, I will do this for you. And that is not the way that you operate with God. Yes, no, God, you move this way and I'll obey. No, the heart behind the fleece is not necessarily the issue. It's not the fleece itself, but, but it's what makes it dangerous. The heart behind it because we misuse these moments with God. So let me show you something. Brought basketball this morning. Now, I'm not a basketball player. I'm not a baller. You know, I can't do like, I thought it would be really, really cool if I could bounce and bounce it through my legs and pull out. I am not that person, okay? So, so understand that, right? But I, I, I wanted to give you an illustration. I think that maybe all of us has, ha, have done or you thought about doing it. But if you've ever been out at your basketball hoop, maybe in your yard or wherever, you're by yourself and, and you got a big decision and you say things like, okay, God, I'm going to ask her out if I make this basket, right? Should I ask how many who have ever done that? No, I won't do that, right? I had some confirmations after first service, so I know you're out there, right? I know you are. So you set up, God, and I'm just using that question, you know, so you can kind of connect with, okay, God, if, if, I, if I make this basket, I'm going to ask her out. This is, this is your will for my life, right? Yeah. And so you shoot the ball and you miss the shot. What do you do next? What do you do? Anybody? Yes, the best two out of three. Yes, that's right. Because whoever said that has done this, right? Yes, okay. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's right. So, okay, God. All right, here we go. Here we go. The best two out of three. Here we go. And, and then if you're like me, you're probably going to miss most of those anyway. And then you go three out of five, God, you know, until you can kind of make the number, right? And then when you make the number, okay, this is God's will. This is what I'm going to do. Do you see how dangerous what Gideon is doing? Do you see it? It's the same concept. 
It's absolutely dangerous. Now, to manipulate God, I think, is sinful. But I, I want to say what, what he's doing right now is extremely dangerous. And some theologians would say, and I read this week, you know, oh, what he's doing, he's trying to understand the sovereignty of God. And if God can, you know, if he can make the, uh, the fleece, I call it the theology of the bath mat, right? If God can make the bath mat, if he can make it, if he can make that wet and everything dry around it, then that's good. So then I'm going to test God one more time. Isn't that what Gideon did? God, Gideon says to God, he says to God, actually, in, in, in a verse later on, in verse 39, he says, God, I know, I, you know, I know that your anger is going to burn against me at some point, but let me test you one more time, right? Let me just test you one more time. So this time, God, you know, I want you to reverse the order, right? And I want you to make maybe everything around it wet and then the, and the bath mat dry. And it's, it's kind of our theology of the bath mat, I call it, right? Wow. Do you really want to live your life by that way? Is that what you're going to place your trust in? Is, is that kind of thing? Well, Mark, is it, is it dangerous for me to, to test God? Can I, te- can I give you a text? Can I? Thank you very much. I'll give it to you, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, if you're wondering. Then the devil took him, talking about Jesus to the holy city, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the God, son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Look look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Mm. This makes this a very dangerous thing to build our life on and for you and I to live by. I think there's enough caution here for us to pause for a moment to put the basketball down in your life for you to find some rest and formation and foundation in what you know about the character and the nature of God this morning. And that becomes the catalyst for clarity in these moments of your life. Because see, look at this in the pure context of it. That's why we, again, I'll say it one more time. I said it twice today, right? This is the second time. Context is everything. You got to look at it this way. That Gideon's question was never, God, do you want me to do this? That's not what he was saying. But his question to God was, God, how do I know you're on my side? God, how do I know that you're on my side? God, how do I know you're really in control of my life? Wow. But Mark, I want a sign. I I want something tangible. You know? So I think you have a choice today because we do have a sign. You can be building your life on the foundation of the bath mat theology or you can build your life on the sign of the cross of Christ. That's our sign. 
Herze. It's, a, it's the ultimate sign of all signs, isn't it? It's the sign that says to you and I that God is in control. That he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for your sins and my sins. That nobody took his life. That God is on our side. That he died for us even while we were yet sinners. If that's not a clarification of him being on your side, I just don't know what else you might want. And I think it shows us that God loves us and clothes us with a perfect love that the world cannot take from us. 1 John 4 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whomever fears has not been perfected in the love of Christ is what it says. So I would say to you this morning, stop looking for a sign and look to the cross, the ultimate sign. To realize that God does speak to us Yes, and it is okay for us to desire confirmation, but not just building that confirmation on some miraculous sign. But going back to the foundation of what we know about God and who he is and understanding his character and his nature. Yes. That when God calls us, his call doesn't always bring us into peace in our life. It does not. But yet his presence does. So it's important for you and I to know who speaks to us. Yes. And he's present in our lives. So put down your basketball. And trust God. With the foundation of what you know about him. Seek him. Ask questions. Because God responds to that kind of heart before he ever responds to a sacrifice on an altar. God loves seekers. God responds to those of us that are inquisitive. And choose your sign. Choose your sign. You build your life on the bath mat and you manipulate God and you tell God, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. Or you build your life on something that is unchangeable, immutable, and irrevocable. And that is the cross of Christ who clothes you and I in the love of God. So for those of you that are searching and seeking, keep searching and seeking. For those of you that have questions, ask the questions. But always come back to the sign of the cross, the ultimate love of God for you and I. So for a moment, can I pray with you today? 
if you won't mind bowing your heads, closing your eyes, or just taking a posture of prayer and just sitting there silently. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. So, Father, here we are as your children. You know us, God. We're broken and we're in a mess many times of our lives. We're inquisitive, full of all types of questions, seeking clarity. And God, in the middle of all of that, you do not turn us away, but you embrace us. God, we have seen clearly today what it means to desire confirmation and what it doesn't mean. God, we've seen clearly how to follow you and to understand, God, what you want us to do in life and avoid the tendency to test you, manipulate you, or attempt to. Because, God, this all brings us to the cross. This always brings us to the greatest sign that has ever been given for humanity, and that is your irreplaceable, irrevocable, unmatched love for us. And God, that is the foundation, and that is the criteria that we use to see you working in our lives. So God, reveal yourself to us in the middle of our seeking. Reveal yourself to us in the search of of clarity in our lives. God, help us to never go back to where we were, where we thought that we had to have all the answers before we came to you. But God, that we come to you with so many questions. And God, in the middle of seeking, you reveal yourself as you did to Gideon that day when he asked you to wait on him as he prepared you a meal. God, you told him in such a loving way, Gideon, I'll be here when you get back because you knew his heart. You know our hearts as well. And so God, you don't abandon us in these moments, but you're with us. So we trust you then. We thank you that you speak to us. We know your voice. Know your voice, God. And you bring clarity to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.